Welcome back, listeners. Over the last two episodes, you've looked over my shoulder as I wrote the song East Tennessee Valley. So far, we've completed the basic structure of our song, then we refined and defined it better by creating a lead sheet, writing an arrangement, and then recording that arrangement. In this episode, we'll add vocals and maybe a few other bells and whistles to our recording. Then we'll mix down the recording, make the master mix of this song, and finally publish it on the web. Tim Rose, and this episode is part three of my Tim Tunes podcast, Songwriting, East Tennessee Valley, where you follow along as I write and record a new song. If you've not listened to parts one and two, I highly encourage you to go back and give it a listen, and then come back and listen to this episode. This is a continuation of those previous episodes, and the horse, as they say, can see the barn. Let's get right to it. So, Put in the headsets or earbuds or fire up the stereo, because this is happening right now. Part 5. Recording the Vocals Remember back in Part 1 when I talked about my inspiration for writing this song? I need to make sure that I'm in that frame of mind as I record the vocals. If I can successfully convey that feeling in my performance, I will have met my goals with the song and the recording. In a way, it's a lot like acting. I need to imagine myself in that situation and put myself back on the road coming into Knoxville. If I don't do that and just kind of sing along with the melody as I've written it in the arrangement, the song may sound dull and lifeless. In my little mind play of the song, I tend to think of the arrangement without the vocals as being like the set, the lights, the costumes, and the movement of the play. Beautiful and moving in their own way, but not as touching and meaningful as the voice. The arrangement sets the mood and tone of the song, but there's something about the voice that stirs our emotions in a way that nothing else can. Voices are like fingerprints. No two are alike, and each is unique. Whenever Bob Dylan or Neil Young or Frank Sinatra or Nat King Cole or Paul McCartney start singing, you know right away who it is. When I was young and singing and playing in bands, we would try to imitate, to the best of our ability, the bands of our day. I was pretty good at it and could sound like lots of different singers. Robert Plant, Elvis, Mick Jagger... Paul Simon, John Denver, Roger Daltrey, James and Jackson Brown. It it didn't matter who the singer was. I tried to sound like them. So, when I started writing and performing in earnest, it begged the question, what does Tim Rose sound like? When we listen to our voices for the first time on a recording, the reaction is almost universally bad. This is more because we don't sound anything like we hear ourselves in our own heads. It can take a long time to go from, oh my gosh, I didn't know I sounded like that, to, 
Hey, I sound good. I needed to find my own voice, so I turned to my acting training. I developed a method where I relax and focus on the meaning of the song, and then I just sing it. I'm not trying to be any of those singers I mentioned before, although I'm sure they creep in from time to time. I'm focused on conveying the meaning and emotion of the song. Now, this is easy to say and simple to understand, but not so simple to do. I find that it's critical to warm up before I sing, especially as I've gotten older. Plus, warm-ups tend to relax you and get you out of the mindset of your day-to-day thoughts. They clear your mind and help you focus on the task at hand. It's hard to perform well when you're thinking about something else. Did I turn off the stove? Isn't my car payment due tomorrow? Why don't they call me back? I wonder if I've gotten any likes or comments on my post. These intrusive thoughts can interfere with concentration during a performance and lead to, at worst, mistakes, and at best, unintended micro-inflections that distract from the performance. And, make no mistake, recording is a performance. There's just nobody listening while you're recording. It's important to be able to hear yourself when recording. This may sound like a no-brainer, but in the hustle and bustle of recording, it's easy to miss, especially if you're both performing and engineering the recording. Also, unlike the days of old and analog recording, you can't let the meters get into the red. You've probably seen sound meters before. There are graphic meters that represent the sound level in a kind of bar graph, and then there are needle meters that show the volume on a dial sort of arrangement with a needle moving back and forth according to the sound volume. In both types of indicators, there is a red region that indicates the volume is too high. With the analog recordings, i.e. actual tape or record recordings, it's okay for the sound to peak out quickly and then fall off. With digital recordings, recordings made on a computer, it is not. Both analog and digital peaking produce distortion in the mix. The analog distortion can produce a pleasant kind of compressive effect if it isn't too intense. Any distortion produced in digital recordings, however, is just bad. It will introduce loud clicks and nasty, hurdy sounds. It's almost as if the computer recording the digital sound says, I have no idea how to interpret this signal, so here is something to torture you with. One of the most important choices that you need to make in recording voices is selecting the microphone. It's important to pick a microphone that highlights the best features of your voice. So, for someone like me who is more of a baritone bass, it might seem like I need a microphone that emphasizes the bass baritone range. That, however, is not the case. I find in general that I like the sound of my voice when the microphone is relatively flat. That is, it doesn't emphasize any particular frequency. All microphones have some frequency variations, so no microphones are truly flat. To a certain extent, I think it's more that I imagine that I like a flat microphone than that I actually do. 
singing the melody. The next thing I do is to make the recording of the melody. As you recall, we have a recording of the melody played by the tenor saxophone that we made when we made the lead sheet. By now, I've heard that melody about a thousand times and have it ingrained in my brain. So when I go to record the melody, all I have in front of me is the lyrics. I won't play the melody along as I record it. I feel like this gives me greater freedom in interpreting the song. I don't want to be locked in. I will generally sing the complete melody from the beginning to end in one take. Then I'll go back and re-record any sections that I don't like. Often, I'll re-record the entire song. It only takes three or four minutes. Usually, after three or four takes, I'm done. To make sure that the vocal is okay, I'll listen to the entire vocal, both with the backing tracks and without. This is what it sounds like without the backing tracks. Driving over the mountain Or coming up from the plain I stop feeling happy I just can't explain I got no reason to be joyful But I cannot escape This flying footloose feeling And the smile upon my face I was born here years ago And left as a child to roam East Tennessee Valley, you're my home. And this is what it sounds like with the second verse with the backing tracks. The roads and buildings have all changed and the people, they've all grown. Some moved on and some have gone to some other home. Maybe it's the earth or the water or maybe the sky or the spirits of my elders calling me nigh everything large has gotten smaller and everything new seems old east tennessee valley you're my home now that we have the melody we need to add any harmonies that we want Deciding what harmony should go where is kind of an art form and really is a matter of taste and artistic preference. Harmony can be used as a tool to emphasize certain moods in the song. In our case, this is primarily a happy song. I'm using harmony to lift up the feeling of the song in certain places. You have to be careful with harmony, though. Harmony can make it difficult to understand the words sometimes and can obscure the meaning of the song. So, Use harmony judiciously and with care. In this song, I've decided to use harmony in the following phrases. In verse 1, the first harmony, I have a single harmony, a third-ish above the melody on the line, I start feeling happy. In the second line, and then again in the line, this flying footloose feeling. Next, I add two harmonies of Oz behind the line, I was born here years ago, and left as a child to roam. Then I sing to the end of the verse with just the two harmonies. That sounds like this. Driving over the mountain Or coming up from the plain I stop feeling happy I just can't explain 
I got no reason to be joyful, but I cannot escape this flying footloose feeling and the smile upon my face. I was born here years ago and left as a child to roam. East Tennessee Valley, you're my home. When I'm recording the harmonies, this is what it sounds like. I prefer to record the harmonies without the backing tracks so that I make sure I get the harmonies right. Then I'll add the rest of the tracks to make sure the harmonies sound right with the rest of the arrangement. In the second verse, I've made all of the harmonies three-parters. This is what it sounds like with the backing tracks added in. The roads and buildings have all changed and the people, they've all grown. Some moved on and some have gone to some other home. Maybe it's the earth or the water, or the night, or maybe the sky, or the spirits of my elders calling me nigh. Everything large has gotten smaller, and everything new seems old. East Tennessee Valley, you're my The next harmony section is the bridge, which is done entirely in three-part harmony. Without the backing tracks, that sounds like this. At the end of the day, I don't care why this place means so much to me. But I remember living here and being loved unconditionally. Hmm, sounds pretty good to me. There are additional harmonies in the last verse, and of course, a great big old harmony ending. But I think I'll save those for the final mix. Part 6. Mixing Down the Song It's been a few days since I made the last recording for the song, and hopefully I've gotten the last session out of my mind. If that isn't the case, then undoubtedly I'll mix the last thing recorded either too loud or too soft. I guess we'll find out in a few minutes. But before I jump into mixing, I'd like to review each part to see if I want to tweak the sound quality with effects. For instance, the piano gets a little harsh in the highest part of the solo, and the rhythm guitar sounds a little thin. Also, now that I have a nice bright bass sound, I want to explore putting some more bottom back in. But first, I'm going to revisit the vocals. You may have noticed in the vocal and harmony examples that there were some effects already applied to them. Let's explore that a little. Normalization. While recording, it often occurs that certain parts are not recorded at the same volume as other parts. Wherever this is not my intention, I use a tool called normalization to bring the volume up. Normalization preserves the differences in volume of a particular section while increasing the volume of the phrase to the maximum level available without distortion. While this levels out the volume, it also increases the volume of any noise in the recording and you need to be aware of this. However, normalization makes mixing a lot simpler as you don't have to go in manually and adjust the volume of each little bit of recording. Now, 
This is a sample of my voice before normalization. And this is a sample of my voice after normalization. Equalization. One of the first things I do after recording the voice is to EQ it. That is, to change the frequencies that are emphasized or de-emphasized by the microphone in the recording system. This process is called frequency equalization, or EQ. It's kind of backward since what you are doing is making the frequencies unequal by fiddling with them, but so be it. With my bass baritone voice, one of the first things I do is de-emphasize the lower frequencies. I know this seems counterintuitive, but if I don't do this, most microphones will overemphasize the lower frequencies and my voice will sound, well, for lack of a technical term, too wooey. This will muddy up the mix and make it more difficult to hear the voice clearly in the final mix. I'll show you what I mean. Here is a raw recording of the first verse without EQ or effect. I've left out the other instruments so that you can hear the effects more clearly. Driving over the mountain Or coming up from the plain I stop feeling happy And here's the same sample with EQ applied to it. Driving over the mountain are coming up from the plain. I stop feeling happy. As you can hear, the differences are very subtle. This version has a very common EQ filter called a high-pass filter applied to it. The high-pass filter is a very common filter. Counterintuitively, the high-pass filter allows higher frequencies to pass through it and de-emphasizes the lower frequencies that can muddy up the sound. Why this is called a high-pass filter instead of a bass filter is a mystery to me. It almost sounds like something sound engineers do to mystify the mixing process and keep the uninitiated out. This issue is so common that most mixing boards have a high-pass filter button for every channel. Mark Baxter, a vocal coach of mine, used to say that the top needs a little bottom and the bottom needs a little top when you sing. What he means is that high notes need some frequencies from your lower voice and low notes need some higher frequencies as well. If you don't have this, then your higher notes will sound thin and reedy and your lower notes will sound thick and, well, muddy. These higher additional frequencies are what we call overtones and the lower additional frequencies are called, guess what? undertones. If someone has pleasant overtones, we say that the voice has a lot of resonance. If the overtones are not so pleasant, then we say that voice is most likely like most of the contemporary metal band vocalists. Just search death metal and have a listen for an example. Creating virtual space. At the time of recording, Almost everything is about getting rid of the sound of the room you're recording in. That makes the recording sound kind of dead, so we have to add back some kind of ambience to breathe life back into the recording. There are numerous tools available to do this, but I like to use good old-fashioned reverb. Ambience comes from the sound reflections in a space where you are recording. So, a virtual large performance hall may sound like this. 
or a small room may sound like this. And this is the sound of a train station. I like the sound of a medium-sized room. And I try to use just enough reverb so that it sweetens the sound but doesn't call attention to itself. Any effects that I use, I use judiciously. Otherwise, the recording loses the feel of the performance and starts to feel artificial and flat. Everything that you do changes the quality and timbre of your recording. So, tread lightly. Balancing the mix. Now that we've applied all the effects to the tracks that we want, it's time to start balancing the mix. This is where we set the sound volume and pan levels. The pan level determines how much sound goes to the left or right speaker in the mix. I like to move the instruments a little bit left or right so it doesn't sound like everything is coming from right in front of you. In this case, I've panned the piano a little left and the guitar a little right. We'll leave the bass slightly off-center left and the drums slightly off-center right. It's very subtle, but it adds more space and a sense of placement of the instruments. I should mention that I mix the rhythm instruments, the guitars, bass, piano, and drums, into what I call the instrument's submaster. Then I mix the vocals into another submaster. Then these two channels are mixed together into the master channel. That way I can balance the vocals to themselves and the instrument's tracks into themselves. Now I can increase or decrease all of the vocals against the backing track without having to adjust each vocal track. The first thing I'll do is to take all the instrument levels to zero. Then I'll bring up the drums first. Now is the time to make any micro adjustments to the sound. For instance, I may want to manually increase the volume of fills so that they stand out better in the mix. Once I'm satisfied that the drums sound good and are not peaking, I'll bring in the bass. I'll go through the same process with the bass that I did through the drums. Once I'm convinced the balance between the bass and the drums is good, I'll add the piano. I'll slowly bring it up until the balance is good. Next, I add the rhythm guitar. And then finally, the lead guitar. While working with the track, I found that it was too dense. The song needs more air, it needs to breathe, so I decided to try a little experiment. After selecting the instruments, I made audio recordings of each of them so that I could better manipulate each sound. Now, I'm going to try to play the synths with different instruments. The piano will still be a piano, and the bass will still be a bass, and the drum kit will still be a drum kit but the samples will be different. Then I'm going to hard pan the old instruments to the left channel and the new instruments to the right channel. I'm going to attempt to hollow out the middle of the virtual space and put vocals and guitars in here. You'll hear it in the final mix. 
Once all of the instruments have been balanced, I'll mute the instrument submaster so that I don't hear the instruments anymore and start working on the vocals. I'll bring up the melody first. Driving over the mountain or coming up from the plain. I stop feeling happy. I just can't explain. I got no reason to be joyful. But I can And then the first harmony track. This flying footloose feeling and the smile on my face. The second harmony track. I was born here years ago and left as a child to roam. East Tennessee Valley, you're my home. Once I'm satisfied the vocal track is properly balanced, then I'll unmute the instrument track and balance the instrument track with the vocals track. Now comes the most boring part of the whole process. I need to listen to the mix over and over and over again for little tweaks that I need to make. Also, I need to try the mix out on different speaker systems to see how it sounds on cheap little speakers and earbuds. Part seven, making the master. Once the balance is complete, I'll create a master mix by exporting the music into a single music file. The Cakewalk system stores sounds in WAV format, but the WAV files are too large for most streaming services. So I usually mix down to FLAC format or occasionally MP3. After checking the master mix to make sure it isn't distorted or too soft, I'll let it sit for a few days to let my ears clear out. Then I'll go back and listen to the master and load it into another piece of software called avs for You to make the final master. I almost always normalize the master mix, and I may apply EQ or compression if needed. But usually, I'll just trim the beginning and the end of the piece and make the final master track. Now, after one more round of listening through different speakers and computer and phone systems, the track is ready to publish. Part 8. Publishing the Track I use a tool called Songcast to publish my music. Unlike the old days, I only publish online now. Songcast will distribute the song to multiple places so that it's available for streaming and downloading. But, sadly, nobody downloads anymore and streaming just doesn't pay. Last year, I had 740 streams and sold one track. I made a whopping $5.18. That's one of the reasons I started this podcast, to get more people to stream my songs and, if possible, to supplement my income. This song won't be available online, except from this podcast and for my Patreon patrons, until I publish the rest of Tim Tunes Volume 3. You see, if I publish more than three songs at a time, it's cheaper to publish them in an album as opposed to standalone. Regardless, once published in the tool, the song is available for streaming or downloading from Apple Music and iTunes, TikTok, SoundCloud, Pandora, Facebook, Tidal, MediaNet, Amazon, YouTube, and Spotify, to name a few.
about all the time we have for this episode. Wait, what? You want to hear how the final mix turned out? Well, why didn't you say so? Without further ado, here is the world premiere of East Tennessee Valley. So, there you have it. 
Please feel free to send me comments on this episode via Facebook at the Tim Toons Podcast Group or email me at timtoonspodcast at gmail.com. Or, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can send me messages via Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, I'd like to give shout-outs to two of my donors. We've recently received donations from Terry Sullivan and Sally Sislak. Thank you guys so much for donating. It means the world to me and keeps the podcast going. By the way, my Patreon site is now up and running at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tim Tunes. You can subscribe for a monthly donation of $3 to become a Tim Tuna level donor or $5 for the Tim Tunes Saints level. In return for your patronage, you'll have access to all kinds of extra content like this song. Tim Tunes Saints will have complete online access to my song library. If you choose to donate, then I thank you in advance. If not, then you can also help the podcast by liking or reposting my Facebook posts. Or, if you listen on iTunes, please rank me favorably. That'll go a long way towards increasing my reach. However you choose to support the show, I appreciate you. Thanks for listening.